Welcome to Be Set Free, the radio outreach of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. Be Set Free features the teaching ministry of Pastor Nick Cady. Pastor Nick's desire is to bring the gospel into our lives so we can experience the joy and freedom that can only be found through Jesus. Today's message comes from I Could Never Believe in a God Who, our series in which we examine and respond to serious objections to Christianity. Here is Pastor Nick. Amen. Okay, would you please open with me in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians. Paul's second letter to the Corinthians is found in your New Testament, so kind of near the, it's one of the bigger books in your New Testament, so go to the New Testament and uh, go past the Gospels, past Romans, then you got 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, and we'll be in chapter 12. So 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and we'll begin by reading our text, which is the first 10 verses of 2 Corinthians. I must go on boasting. Though here is nothing to be gained by it, I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up to paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast. But on my own behalf, I will not boast except of my weakness. Though if I should wish to boast... I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain from it so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. So to keep me from being conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me, but he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, and we ask that as we study it, as we consider it, as we make application for our lives, Lord, would you enlighten our eyes, enlighten the eyes of our hearts, Lord, that we might see and understand and apply these things from your word. Lord, we pray that you would speak into areas of our lives, help us to make application from these things to what's going on with us. And Lord, help us that we might be changed and transformed by the power of your word as we study it this morning. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So our current series is called, I Could Never Believe in a God Who. And what we're doing in this series is we're taking nine weeks. It was originally seven, but we've extended it because we got a lot of feedback that uh, this series has been very helpful for people. And so we had a few more topics that we wanted to discuss. So uh, originally seven weeks, now nine weeks. And what we're doing is we're looking at some of the biggest objections that people have to Christianity and the Bible. And we're taking an honest look at them and really dealing with them head on. A few months ago, we posted a poll online in which we asked the question, how would you complete this sentence? I could never believe in a God who, and we got a lot of response to that poll. Some of you filled it out. We had people who listened to the radio who filled it out and people online. And what we did is we took all the responses as people finished that sentence, I could never believe in a God who, and we took that and we identified some of the topics which people say make it hard for them to really embrace fully the gospel and to really put their trust in the Bible and in Jesus Christ. And our goal with this series is 
that we want to hopefully remove some of these barriers because as we look at them, we believe that, hey, you know what? There's some really good answers to these questions that maybe if we could present these, it would actually remove some of those barriers and some of those hurdles which people say are keeping them from either, you know, really fully stepping over that line and putting their faith in Jesus or maybe it's causing a hindrance in their relationship with God. It's just a hang-up that they have. They say, this is the thing I can't get over. So we want to help people move from doubt and unbelief to faith and belief. But the other thing we want to do is we want to help equip you so that when you're uh, out and about throughout the week talking to people, you'll have some answers and some tools to be able to speak to people who are asking these very questions that you encounter throughout the week. Now, so when when it comes to Christianity and the Bible, one of the biggest struggles that people have is that they say this. They say, I could never believe in a God who does not answer my prayers. I could never believe in a God who does not answer my prayers. A lady called into a radio talk show recently and she said that she had given up believing in God because her husband had gotten sick and she had prayed and prayed that he would get better but in the end he died. And she said that part of the reason why she had given up on God and Christianity and this Bible stuff was because when her husband was sick, she had gone to her church and she had talked to her pastor and he had pointed her to a few verses in the Bible in which Jesus spoke about the power of prayer. Let me read those verses to you and we'll talk about them. Here's Matthew 21. Jesus says, whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. We have John 14. Whatever you ask in my name, This I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. John 15, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, then you can ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. These verses seem very encouraging, don't they? Like they would encourage you to pray and ask with confidence. Whatever you ask for in faith and in the name of Jesus, you will receive. And so this woman heard these verses as their pastor pointed them out to her, and she prayed. She did, and she tried to pray in faith, and she prayed in Jesus' name, and her husband did not get better. He died, and she went back and asked her pastor. She said, why didn't God answer her prayers? And his response was essentially, she hadn't prayed hard enough, or perhaps she hadn't prayed with enough faith, or maybe there was something in her life that wasn't right with God. In fact, he went even further and said, well, maybe there was something wrong with your husband and that's why God didn't heal him. Maybe he, he wasn't really a Christian or, or something along those lines. And her response was, she was like, you know what, I'm done. I'm done with Christianity altogether because in her opinion, it just didn't work. Now maybe some of you can relate to that woman's experience. Maybe you've prayed for something and you didn't get the results that you hoped for. And then you read verses in the Bible that say, hey, pray and have faith and, and you'll get what you ask for. And if you pray in Jesus' name. And you've prayed, you've tried, and you've experienced this. And your experiences with not getting the results you hoped you would get in prayer perhaps have caused you to doubt God's goodness or even God's existence. Now let me tell you this. This isn't something that is only something that Christians struggle with and grapple with. What's interesting about statistics about prayer is that if you look at the statistics, almost everyone prays. There's a very small majority of people who do not believe in God and don't pray. What's interesting is among people who are what we call agnostic, which means they don't necessarily affiliate with any religious belief. They just believe that maybe there's a God, but they don't know who he is. Agnostic people 
tend to pray. And so what you have is that, check these numbers out, about 30%, 30 to 39% of the U.S. population attends religious services of any kind. So 30 to 30%. And yet 80 to 90% of people say, who were polled, said that they prayed at least once within the last three months. Now that prayer might be as simple as just calling out to God or, or their perception of God, but the point is that even people who aren't even sure if they believe in God, people who are unaffiliated religiously, people pray. Karl Barth, who's a Swiss theologian, he famously said this, there seems to be an innate human instinct for prayer. It's an instinct that we have. It comes so incredibly naturally to us to pray. And it's something that happens across the board. But here's the thing. So everybody's praying, even people who don't even know if they believe in God. People pray, but when they pray uh, and their prayers go unanswered, it causes people to ask a lot of questions. Like, look, if God can help, then why doesn't he? Right? I'm not asking for bad things. I'm not asking for silly things. I'm asking for, you know, someone I love who's sick. I'm asking for a child who's suffering. How can these be things that, that God would say no to? And why does God answer some prayers and not other prayers? Is God somehow like passive aggressive and he won't answer my prayers because there's something he doesn't like about how I'm living and yet he won't tell me what that thing is? So unanswered prayer for a lot of people can be a barrier to faith and a barrier to relationship with God. In the poll that we took, this was one of the responses we got. Some people said, I really struggle to believe in a God who does not answer my prayers. And when you read that, you cannot help but realize that there is a story behind every one of those people who wrote that response. There's a story. There's something that happened. There's something perhaps going on right now. And you can't help but look at it, and you can almost feel in their response the pain and the disappointment and the frustration that they're dealing with. And into this discussion, the Bible gives us a story. And that's what we're going to look at today. Into this discussion, the Bible gives us a story. It's the story of one of the heroes of the Christian faith, a man named Paul. We call him Paul the Apostle. And there was a time in his life when he prayed for something and God did not give him what he asked for. He didn't get the results that he desired. And so we're going to look at this. And as we do, there are three things in this section that I really want to point out to you that take special note of. The first is this, and we're going to walk through this section. In the first seven verses, what we see is that Paul got an unwanted gift. First, we see an unwanted gift. So when Paul wrote his second letter to the Corinthians, just to give you some context and some background so that we understand what he's talking about here, he was facing a lot of criticism from some people in the Corinthian church. A lot of criticism. See, Paul had started this church in Corinth himself. He was their very first pastor. He had moved to the city with a group of people, and together they had preached the gospel, and they had gathered the believers together, and they began teaching them the Bible. And after some time, Paul left, and, and he appointed another pastor over their church, but after Paul left, people in the church began criticizing him. And we know this from, from reading uh, these letters. They started turning people against Paul as well and telling people not to listen to what Paul had to say. And what they said was that Paul wasn't spiritual, that he wasn't spiritual enough. And to prove that fact, they pointed to the fact that Paul had experienced and did experience a lot of hardship in his life. Paul was constantly and often sick. 
One time, for example, he was on a ship and the ship crashed. You know, he was beaten up several times. He was arrested several times. And it seemed like if something bad could possibly happen, then it would absolutely happen to Paul. It seemed like just calamity seemed to follow him everywhere he went. And these people looked at that and they said, look, surely this is not a man of God. Do you desire to grow in your understanding of who Jesus is? This spring, we are doing a seven-week series at Whitefields called Jesus Is, in which we will be looking at the seven I Am statements that Jesus made, which are recorded for us in the Gospel of John. Did you know that when Jesus said those words, I Am, He was not only describing His character and His identity, He was actually invoking the name of God. In these verse-by-verse studies, we will be looking at who Jesus claimed to be and what it means for us today, culminating on Easter Sunday with Jesus' claim that He is the resurrection and the life. Join us at Whitefields as we seek to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ through verse-by-verse study of God's Word here in this special series called Jesus Is from March 6th to April 17th. For service times, directions, and ways to watch and connect online, visit whitefieldschurch.com. Now, here's the rest of today's message from Pastor Nick. Surely a man of God wouldn't have a life that's such a mess like this guy's life. Surely a man of God would be much more victorious and wouldn't have all the problems that Paul has. They accused Paul of being a weak person spiritually, and they said, why would you follow somebody like that? His life is a mess. Why would you follow somebody like that? Instead, they said, you ought to follow us. Look at our lives. We've got it all together. Everything in our lives is going great. And that's the sign that God is with us and he's not with Paul. And one of the things uh, these people would often boast about was that they had a lot of spiritual visions and revelations from God. And they said, well, you know, Paul doesn't have spiritual visions and revelations from God. He's not spiritual like we are. And so what happened, it seems, is that some people from Corinth wrote Paul a letter. And they asked Paul to respond to these accusations that people were bringing against him and making about him. And so here in 2 Corinthians, that's what Paul does. He responds and refutes these accusations and these things that people were saying against him, albeit he does it a bit reluctantly. He seems to be kind of acquiescing to their request that, they, that he respond to these issues and refute them, but he does so seemingly kind of reluctantly. He doesn't, you see that throughout the letter, he's kind of hesitant in saying, look, I don't like talking about myself, but, but let me just respond to what these people are saying. That's why he says here in chapter uh, 12, verse 1, in the first verse of this chapter, he says this, I must go on boasting. There is nothing to be gained for it, but I have to. So I will go on to talk about visions and revelations of the Lord. Paul's saying, look, you want to know if I've ever had any visions? Well, actually, I have. Let me, let me tell you about a vision I had just to, to answer your question. Verse 2, he says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Now, Paul is speaking here in the third person. He's actually talking about himself. He says, look, I know a guy. He's the guy he's talking about is himself. It's like when you tell somebody, hey, I need some advice for a friend, but you're really asking for yourself. Why is Paul speaking in the third person? Well, um, it's because he really wants to take attention 
away from himself. He's a little bit embarrassed to even be speaking about these things that he's experienced and kind of trying to prove himself to these people. Now, we know that Paul's talking about himself and not somebody else because in verse 7, Paul switches and begins talking about how this vision that he's talking about was actually a vision that he had. So it's very clear, especially later on in the chapter, Paul's talking about himself, but he starts out by talking in the third person. He says this, uh, look, 14 years ago, I had this experience. I was caught up to the third heaven. Now, what is the third heaven? The third heaven was a common way of speaking and thinking in the ancient world. Basically, here's what they said. The blue sky, like what we would call our atmosphere, is what they called the first heaven. Beyond that, outer space, or what they would call the starry sky, is what they called the second heaven. And then the third heaven wasn't necessarily a physical realm, but it was the spiritual realm in which God dwelt. And so we've got, you know, atmosphere, uh, outer space, and then the third heaven is that place where God dwells. And so what Paul is saying here is that he was caught up into the presence of God into the place where God dwells. And we know that because in verse three, Paul identifies this third heaven as paradise. So that's where he went, to the dwelling place, the immediate presence of God. So you wonder, what did he see there? What was this vision that Paul got of heaven? Well, well, first of all, he says this. Look, did Paul go there physically? Like, did he actually get transported in his spirit or physically to heaven? Or was this just like a vision that he had, kind of like the vision that Isaiah had of heaven and the throne room of God in the book of Isaiah chapter 6? Well, Paul says he doesn't know. He's not sure. He says, look, I'll just tell you what I saw, what I experienced. I don't know if it was just a vision I had or if I was actually there. I'm not sure. But here's what happened. Now, now, let me just stop here and say this. The timing of this is interesting because he says specifically it happened 14 years prior to him writing this letter. Now, if you, you kind of do a little math and you look at the book of Acts and what would happen at about 14 years ago, well, 14 years seems to line up with his first missionary journey. Now, there's something really interesting that happened on his first missionary journey, which this may be alluding to or maybe not. I think it is, and I'll just let you decide for yourself. But here's the thing. We can't be sure, but a lot of people think and wonder if this vision took place during Paul's first missionary journey when he was in a city called Lystra. Lystra, you can read about this in Acts chapter 14, verse 19. And there in Lystra, Paul was attacked by a group of people who didn't like the fact that he was preaching about Jesus. And they, they did what was customary in their culture when you considered somebody to have committed blasphemy or any other crime worthy of death. And that is that they would take big rocks. I mean, not, not like, you know, river rocks. We're talking big rocks. And you would stone a person to death. I mean, think about that blunt force trauma, right, to the head and to the internal organs. It was an awful, terrible, but also effective way of killing somebody. And so they would throw rocks at this person until they died. And that's what they did to Paul. They stoned him to death, or at least until they were convinced that he was dead. Then they dragged him out of the city and left him in what was like the trash heap of the city right outside the, the city limits. So you can imagine, right, Paul getting hit with all these rocks in the head. And, and some people speculate maybe he even did die, or maybe he had what we might call a near-death experience. And many people believe that maybe this vision, or even going to heaven, whether whatever it was, that this happened at that time when Paul was stoned to death or nearly to death, and he had maybe what was like a, a near-death experience in which maybe he did go to heaven and experience these things. 
We don't know. That's, that's a matter of speculation. But either way, um, what's more significant, I think, is this. Paul had this incredible vision of heaven. Paul maybe has this incredible spiritual experience. And he didn't talk about it for 14 years, right? Like nowadays, what, what happens, right? Everybody's like, hey, I went to heaven for two minutes, and now I'm going to write a book about it, and I'm going to sell the movie rights, and I'm going to go on tour, and I want you to buy the book so I can make a lot of money off of my heaven tourism, right? And Paul wasn't like that. He kept this to himself, literally didn't even talk about it for 14 years. And now the only reason he's talking about it to the Corinthians is doing it reluctantly, almost out of necessity, because they need to know. Now this really shows, again, Paul's humility, and and I also think his sense of reverence for the things of God. He's not trying to cheapen them or make them some kind of uh, item that he can make money off of or, or use to promote himself. No, there's a sense of reverence about the holiness of God and the holiness of what he experienced. And he's kept it to himself all these years. And he finally tells them kind of out of necessity. Now, maybe you wonder, right? The big question. Okay, Paul, you went to heaven. Tell us what it was like. What did you see? What did you hear? Tell us everything, right? Write a book. We want to read it. He says in verse 4, I heard things that cannot be told and which man may not utter. Well, thanks a lot, Paul, right? Like, big help there. I guess we'll just have to wait and find out. But you might wonder, why would God give Paul this vision or this experience? I mean, if the things that Paul saw were things that he couldn't speak about and he kept silent about this experience for 14 years, then what was the point of this whole thing anyway? Like, why did God bother to give him this vision or this experience? Well, if the things, right, that he saw, well, then what was the point? I believe the purpose was this. I believe it was to give Paul a glimpse of what awaited him in order to keep him motivated, to keep him going, to keep him focused. See, this vision for the rest of Paul's life would be something that would sustain him through the most difficult moments of his life. This is something that would keep him motivated, something that would keep him focused when things got hard, when things got difficult, when he faced opposition and trials, when he faced imprisonment and even death. This vision of heaven is what would have sustained him and kept him going because Paul knew what awaited him. He had caught a glimpse of it, even if just for a short time, and he would live the rest of his life differently as a result. You know, that's what happens when you really understand heaven, isn't it? You live the rest of your life differently as a result. You can't live the same way. See, Paul knew what awaited him, and it caused him to live differently as a result. The goal of his life was no longer to try to have his best life now. No, he knew that his best life is not here. His best life was to come. He had seen a glimpse of it, and he knew what awaited him. The purpose of this life, Paul decided, was to be used by God to carry out God's mission in the world, bringing life and joy and love and hope to all people through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so he says in verse 5, I will not boast about this vision I had. I'm not going to use it to make you think more of me. The only thing I will boast about is this. I will boast about my weakness. Now that's interesting, right? Because the people who were criticizing him were criticizing him because of his weakness. They're calling him weak. And Paul is saying, you know what? I am weak. I am weak. And you know what? My weakness is not something I'm ashamed of. You know, it's like people who say Christianity, believing in God, it's just a crutch. 
We say, yes, it's a crutch, but it's more than a crutch. It's a hospital bed. It's the whole hospital, right? And I am weak, and I boast in that weakness. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of my weakness. He says, look, you want to you you know, have a, this, some kind of strange competition? He says, fine, I've had greater visions and more profound spiritual experiences than any of you guys have ever had. But you know what? I don't talk about those things. I don't boast about those things. You know what I want to talk about and boast about? I'll boast about my weakness. And he's going to tell us why in a moment as we go on. But he says this in verse 7. He says, so to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of this revelation, a thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. You see, there would be a temptation for anybody who had an experience like what Paul had to become conceited, right? To become condescending towards others, to, to think that they're better than other people. And Paul was not immune to that temptation. And so in order to keep him humble, God gave Paul what he calls a thorn in the flesh, In other words, the only reason Paul tells us about this heavenly vision at all is to explain why God gave him the thorn in the flesh. In other words, Paul's like, look, we we want all the juicy details. Paul, tell us about your vision. You've been listening to Be Set Free, the radio outreach of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. We have three in-person services on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11 a.m. And our 9.30 and 11 services are live streamed on our website for those who would like to worship with us online. We are located just east of County Line Road and Highway 119 at 2950 Colorful Avenue in Longmont. For more information or to hear other messages from Pastor Nick, visit us online at whitefieldschurch.com. Be Set Free is a listener-supported program. If you have been blessed by this message and would like to support this ministry, you can send a donation via check to 2950 Colorful Avenue, Longmont, Colorado, 80504, or donate online at besetfreeradio.com.